0: Hey everyone, this is a multi-part series, so if you want to go back and start at part one, that's definitely recommended. You can also hear this whole thing uninterrupted at atheaterinthedark.com. Enjoy! A Theater in the Dark presents A murder in the Court of Xanadu Written by Corey Bradbury The cast includes Nessa Amherst, Robinson J. Cyprian, Van Farrow, Gabriel Fries, and Aaron Lynn as Marla. This project is supported in part by a grant by the Illinois Arts Council Agency, a state agency, and supported in part by an individual artists program grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. The show's original music is composed and performed by Paul Sotnick and is directed by the author.
1: When hunting, it's often best to wait and let your prey think nothing is the matter. That's when you strike. But Ahmad was ready. He already had the cards in his hand. So it didn't take long for clever Ahmad to spin a web of misinformation. It only took a short February. See how Ahmad presents Cain with what Cain holds most dear—jewels and trinkets that glitter. I should know. I can show you if you'd like. You said or mentioned opal, didn't you? Maybe in a bit. Ahmad, I'm
2: flattered.
3: I'm glad you enjoy my gift to you, sir.
2: Oh, an ebony black tray inlaid with pearls, oh, whitest pearls I've seen, and this red silk, this fine red silk, this torgu, made by hand, I can tell. But what was this about, this knife you laid on top? When my jeweler, Marla, presented your gift to me, I didn't know
3: if it should be a threat. That knife holds the finest blade on earth, produced by our cutlery division in Australia. You'll see the pearls in the tray are not the only ones. Oh, why it's the
2: hilt. <laughs> Beautiful mod. this gift is worthy. But is there a cause for
3: celebration? A celebration of my loyalty to our common cause, though sadly spackled with the passage of time. When I first came to work under your employ, my hair was as black as this midnight tray you hold here. And serving you so many years, I see now those fine black hairs turn white as those pearls. Old Bayan wishes to wield a knife and slit my throat as red as this Torgue. Ha!
2: Ha ha you jokester! You go to such theatrics to prove a point.
1: Yet, Cain's own hand was fashioning the knife, feeling inlaid pearls clutch into his palm, his wrist leading to an arm clothed in white.
2: What an everlasting piece of forged steel, a gift worthy of these mountainous halls. Tell me of old Bion's ill against you, and I alone can fix it.
1: Sure enough. Old Bayan was relieved of his duties, removed from post, banished from Xanadu. See how Ahmad thinks? See how he moves? See how Cain is flattered by his fondness? Just like a world-class fencer.
4: strike! Bayan, you've returned. What a surprise. Yes. Well, Ahmad, it's
3: both hello and goodbye. Goodbye so soon. I hope you aren't leaving for our... Editor? Oh no, or worse. You've been convicted. I heard about the charges. Dare I say it?
4: Espionage? No, no. Oh. They never found a bloody thing. But a damage to my reputation, well, now that's been tarnished forever. One can never
3: escape the rumor mill. Tell me about it. I've had some myself. A fortunate for me, though. Yes, got you sorted. would
4: certainly know. Wouldn't you? Well. No sane man would hire me now, no, no. Who wants to employ a suspected spy? A not so traitorous a death for me, but still a death nevertheless. I've been transferred to the African Division. That's tough.
3: On a fighter's market. What a compliment from Kane to send you there.
4: Well, aren't you kind and diplomatic? I bet that's why Cain keeps you around. Or is it just for pets? If only Jim Gim were alive today. You know as well as I know that from Cain, it's no compliment but a death sentence for my career. There's no coming back now.
3: So we won't be seeing you round these parts? As they say. Oh, You could always quit, I suppose.
4: And lose my stock options. At my age, no. It's better to hang up my spurs and be a toothless dog who still gets fed some treats. I'll miss seeing these mountains, but maybe something flat will do for a little while. Goodbye, Akhmad. Goodbye, Bayan.
3: Goodbye. There goes a war hero subdued with ease, as easily as a mouse caught with glue. (laughs) All it took was a few calls and some circumstantial evidence well placed. Now, could I dispatch old Cain himself? Yes! But why destroy the thing that gives me life? Cain may be an apex predator, but a tiger's dead if its liver bursts. Where's the joy in that? Instead, I'll play the parasitic leech, sucking the blood to engorge myself while the unknowing host thinks himself the one in charge. (laughs) What would Jim Gim think of that imagery? (laughs) If the boy weren't dead, I'd take him on next. Yes. Once I have what I want, then I strike. But what I want is endless, though yet in sight.
1: One more thing I meant to point out earlier, that jade cup was a beauty, a marvel. I don't trade in jade, but I respect it. That jade cup of Bion's was never found and Cain did nothing to restrain Ahmad. Instead, he ordered for himself a jewel, a treasure that I myself would envy.
4: A
2: rock the color of this tasty brandy. Let it be a ruby, no, emerald, or better yet, the purest white of opal, at least the size of my own palm, both palms, cut into the fashion of some such shape that those Islamic geometricians haven't even discovered. When I see it, I want to see the universe's heart, and it should make my own heart pump and pump and feel as if it could pump forever.
1: Such a gem was ordered, and I brought it, or at least was ordered to deliver. That's how I came to learn the end of things. But that's too dire. Before it gets hot,
4: let's bring in those
1: diplomats. You remember them from earlier. Where are
4: the clowns? How is it possible our old ally, Bayan, turned out to be a spy capable of espionage? Nothing's proven, but they say he had accomplices. Oh, he must have. Birds of a feather, you know. Though not all were suspected. Ahmad. Ahmad escaped the microscope again. I wouldn't hold my breath. He must be... Shh. Don't let anyone
1: hear you say so, or you'll be considered a spy yourself. What
4: fashion, when every single nation bows instead to corporate interest?
1: Well, oh, without saying to do, we'd all be paupers. And without your kickback, you'd actually be going down... That's at, enough.
4: Uh, yeah, but I mean, you're both... I said actually... that's enough.
1: My, that wasn't very funny at all. You didn't laugh once. Or were you distracted by my collection of rare, precious stones? I think I've got the right one just for you. I think I know the kind of thing you like. I have an opal stone that you'll adore. Maybe not yet. I can see in your eyes. I know. You want to wade into the guts. You remember I promised you murder. Then let me introduce now someone new. Of course, not new to me, but new to you. His identity kept secret so far, though Marigold mentioned him once before. This man will change the course of this whole tale like the meteor that killed the dinosaurs. Slow to arrive, then at once, sudden death. His name's Wong Chu, and I bumped shoulders with him once arriving at Xanadu's stately pleasure dome on my 60th, or 61st, or 80th errand for such and such a treasure for the boss. Here is Wong Chu. Wang Chu speaks for himself.
4: Why do I do this? A man like Ahmad, by his nature, he has violated my mother, my two daughters, and my wife, as he has to all other families.
1: Well put, Wang Chu. I'm sure they're convinced. We've heard Ahmad, heard how he thinks and moves. Let's save the rest for a little later. You may think... This next part, improbable. But just like history is sometimes swerved by acts of strange luck, and I would liken our friend Wang Chu to that hurricane off Japan. The kamikaze I mentioned earlier that swept away an entire navy, waves one foot high one day, then six the next, then the next morning a hundred feet tall, sweeping away the accomplishments of a century of men's entire lives. Let's say to call Wang Chu highly unstable, meaning unstable in the cosmic sense, could be a compliment. He has an accomplice, Cao, who only speaks but the once. Here is Cao's one line in this whole story Now, Wang Chu! Let's save the rest for later. I won't say anything else about him. That's all I ever learned of the man. But when you hear Now, Wang Chu, you hear Cao. Mm-hmm. It's late night in the heart of Xanadu. Ahmad pours over a swath of spreadsheets. Xanadu's line of credit is boundless. Who knows how much money he's embezzled?
4: He almost doesn't hear Wang Chu approach his office door. Good evening, Ahmad. I need to speak with Kane. Who are you? This office is private. I'm Wang Chu. Wang Chu? You sent me money when I wrote. I've been sending Kane messages for weeks. I've been trying to contact. Sir Wang
3: Chu, Marigold mentioned you. Uh, Kane is out of the country on business far above your pay grade. He won't be back for months. You speak to Marigold about this.
4: She's not in. And this is highly sensitive. She said she. I don't
3: care. Then speak to me.
4: Then I will say. Jim Gim will arrive at his father's house. Say again. Jim Gim lives. He is alive. He sent me to announce his arrival. Impossible.
3: Jim Gim is long dead now. I I attended his funeral,
4: you see. So did I. No casket. Yes, that's true. Then how? I'm sorry, I can't say. I just work east. I don't know why he contacted me first, but I can tell you, Jim Gim is alive.
3: When is Jim Gim due to arrive? How long?
4: Imminently. He demands an audience. You, I mean both you and all your men, would be expected to greet him proper at the front entrance of the compound upon his arrival if you wish to wait till morning. Don't you tell me my business.
3: I've got a golden tablet from Cain himself with Falcon's Crest on not one but both sides. I won't inflate his ego with pomp and I won't send my men to acknowledge him.
4: If Jim Gind lives,
3: why does he return? To lie to me is corporate suicide.
4: A religious ceremony? A birthday? I don't know, sir. That's above my pay grade. So
3: now you know your place, after all.
4: With respect. I've tried to reach you for weeks, But tonight's the night. Unless you want to wait for morning. And if you wait, you'll be expecting a parade. Marigold. Malcontent. Of course she'd want to dump this on me.
3: Like all things here, I'll deal with this myself. I'll send a man ahead to confirm it, then drive myself to greet him openly at the gate. It's two miles, but I'll make time. You'll ride in front with me.
4: As you wish, sir. You're sweating profusely, sir, are you well? Get out!
3: I'll have my man find you downstairs. Even the most logical must contend with possibilities of ghosts and ghouls. Jim came alive. How can that be now, I... Isn't it true he fell off that mountain? Isn't it true that there was more to it? And what were the pictures I examined? What good were the reports that it was done if only for him to show up alive nearly 10 years later? Did he suspect? Has he been hiding? waiting all this time until I kept the court of Xanadu alone, away from Cain and Marigold? Here's that pearl-laden knife I gifted Cain. Spectre or flesh, this ought to be enough.
1: How about you? Are you a believer? Or am I mistaken? Or do I lie?
0: Thank you for listening to A Murder in the Court of Xanadu, written and directed by Corey Bradbury. This project is supported in part by a grant by the Illinois Arts Council Agency, a state agency, and supported in part by an Individual Artists Program grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. Our cast includes Nessa Amherst as Marigold, Robinson J. Cyprian as Kane, Van Farrow as Jim Gim, Bayon, and others, Gabriel Fries as Ahmad, and Aaron Lynn as Marla. Original music written and composed by Paul Sotnick. Special thanks to John Olson Communications. This audio play was produced and sound designed by Corey Bradbury. To hear more audio plays, visit us online at atheaterinthedark.com. Are you looking for a
3: D&D podcast with the dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game.
0: It's the story where chaos rolls.